0: Pastor Luke Walker is the preaching pastor of Redeeming Cross Community Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, Pastor Luke is a graduate of Northwestern College, also in Minnesota. Uh, No, where is it? It is in Minnesota. Okay. He's also the author of six books. Uh, Five of them are biographies, and one is an exposition, a Christ-centered exposition of the book of Judges. And he's uh, currently working on two other projects that should be out uh, hopefully soon. All a great blessing. We're going to hear from one of those uh, this evening as he comes to do a biographical sketch, which we like to do each year for our missions conference as well. Uh, So Pastor Luke is going to preach uh, this morning for us. Um, And uh, we know, uh, I know, having listened to his sermons and having opportunity to spend time with us, Uh, He is going to point us to Christ, where all of our heart's affections belong, and so I'm very grateful for him being here and look forward to hearing uh, the word from him this morning. Come on, brother.
1: Ah, Thanks, bro. Thank you, Reverend. Okay, Uh, it's a tremendous joy and an honor to be here. I terribly hate being away from my family and certainly my local church, but if I can keep Pastor Nick in line, it's a, it's a win for everybody. So it's a, truly an honor to be here. Uh, we're just going to cut right to the chase. I'm going to be preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, now the title of my sermon is actually Money That Buys Wealth. Uh, in your bulletin it says Money That Buys, so I think Pastor Nick was ran, wanted to make me look dumb. But uh, you know how some albums have a hidden track, so this uh, this title has a hidden word. Money that buys wealth. <laughs> and uh, our text is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 6, so if you could kindly join me there in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 17 through 19. I don't know if this is your custom, but... Uh, I would ask that, if you're able, if you could please stand in honor of reading God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, uh, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Amen. You may be seated. The poor, said the Lord Jesus Christ, you always have with you. I think there's been some tremendous efforts among uh, human beings to eliminate poverty. But we have it right there in writing that the poor will always be among us. Now, I think globally poverty has been slashed tremendously in recent times uh, due to the wonders of the free market. Uh, But however, we know that poverty will still exist. And so I think that maybe perhaps uh, uh, the the unbelieving world has begun to believe that uh, the poor we will always have with us. So they've uh, struck out for themselves a new target, the rich. Uh, If the poor cannot be eliminated, perhaps maybe we can make everybody feel better and just eliminate the rich, right? Uh, But I'm submitting to you from verses like this that uh, the rich you will also always have with you, all right? And these are matters of God's providence. Now, earlier in this chapter, Paul said his famous words that the the love of money is the root of all evil, and those who desire to be rich plunge themselves into temptations and snares. And so the desire to be rich is one thing, uh, but if you're actually rich, it's quite another. And that seems to be a matter of God's sovereignty. And Paul here, he knows that in Ephesus where Timothy is, and he knows that in all local churches everywhere, there are those who may be considered the rich. Right? And he gives specific instructions to them which we've just seen, which are basically this. Uh, don't be too proud about it and don't be too comfortable with it uh, because it's uncertain and God may take it away. But what you should do with that money that you have is to be rich in good works, ready to share, generous, storing up treasure for yourself, so that in the age to come you may take hold of the fullness of that which is truly life. And So the basic instructions of this text are pretty clear. Uh, But there is, I think, a little bit of wordplay here even, uh, where Paul is talking about different kinds of riches. And so uh, there is earthly riches, and there is eternal, spiritual riches in Christ, and he kind of plays off these in this text, right? And so I want to look at wealth in these few verses and make three simple considerations about wealth here. Uh, that really Paul's target here is what I'm going to call wealth of another sort. Now, this is not earthly wealth that he has in mind of the goal here, but it's wealth of another sort. Secondly, we'll see that this is wealth that is meant for others. And then thirdly, that this is wealth that is also meant for ourselves, okay, and we will be through. I know Pastor Nick preaches about fifteen minutes, so we'll try to stick to that so <laughs> all right, wealth of another sort now Paul is speaking very literally here to those who have money, right uh, as for the rich, uh, but he gives a caveat here in this present age, so there's a a wealth this is physical, earthly money. Okay, this is your deteriorating greenbacks. Okay, That's what we're talking about, earthly wealth. Uh, but when he talks about earthly wealth, he says that it, is, it belongs to this present age. In other words, this age that is passing away. In other words, this is a temporary wealth. This is a kind of wealth that goes right through your fingers. And he reiterates that later in verse 17 when he calls it the uncertainty of riches. Okay, So there were rich believers and there will continue to be rich believers. And what rich believers need to hear is, look, you need to understand, this is a temporary situation that you're in. And not only is it temporary, like it will end when you die, but it's uncertain even now. And none of the riches that you may have are guaranteed to remain with you, so you set your focus upon God. And what you really do here is you use the wealth that you have to gain real wealth, which is the wealth of another sort that we're going to look at very briefly in this first point. What is the wealth that Paul wants earthly rich believers to focus on? Well, I think we can divide it in two ways. First, it's spiritual wealth. And secondly, related, it's eternal wealth. So first, spiritual wealth. Paul, this is where he's doing his wordplay in verse 18. They, that's the rich, are to do good and to be rich in good works. Okay? So Paul has some bars of his own. Uh, Rich in good works. And so, what Paul is saying here, those who have material wealth in the body of Christ are able to and should use that stuff they have to be rich in another way, rich in good works. All right? Now, this is what we're going to call spiritual wealth. To be abounding in good works is a richness of a different nature than material wealth, right? You do not need to be wealthy to be rich in good works. However, this is very helpful for those who have money, where Paul is saying, look, you can use that money to be rich where it counts, in good works. Now, he delineates what those are, uh, being generous and ready to share. Okay, So the rich are directed to really, how's this, spiritualize their money and put it to good use for the kingdom and for helping and loving people Okay, and in doing that, they kind of transfer that riches into a different realm, which is in their heart and their spiritual life. So those who are rich should have, let's say, a corresponding richness of good works. Now, maybe I'll just uh, let the cat out the bag. Some of you are sitting here thinking, know, I don't got my, This is not sermon. it's not for me, right? I am not rich, uh, but." I hasten to remind you that this is a global missions conference. And I'm going to tell you that if we're talking about the global landscape of the church, all y'all are rich. All right, Globally speaking, everyone in this room is rich. So it depends how you slice it. All right. In a local church, there's going to be those who have more than others and those will be the rich in those congregations. But if we're talking globally, the church universal and missions across the planet, well, then we're really looking the West and the United States square in the face and saying, yo, the wealthy. And so we're going to use these verses this way. As for the rich in this present age, the church in the West, God's charge to us is to be rich in good works. This sermon is for all of us, beloved. Now, the spiritual wealth in good works is really what Paul calls elsewhere, Christ in us. Christ in me. Right? Well, Paul, is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. The good works in the Christian life, I think, are drastically misunderstood. Uh, by nature, we love to approach God on a works principle. We were created under a works principle under Adam originally, and there's vestiges in our nature. And if we're not careful, our default of approaching God and being accepted by God is works. Now, if you're a believer, that's going to solve about 99% of your problems in your life spiritually if you realize that you are not approaching God on the basis of your works, that you are approaching God on the basis of the works of another, on the perfect works of another on the one who lived the perfect life and died in your place as the black hole absorbing all of God's wrath and it is actually finished and you're clothed in Christ and you stand before him on the basis of that perfect righteousness. In other words, you shouldn't be more confident when you have a great day and you shouldn't be less confident when you have a bad day because you approach God every day on the basis as if you pulled off the perfect day. And if you did pull off the perfect day, I'm going to tell you something about it. You would have very bold prayers that night. You would feel very comfortable and accepted by God, right? We shouldn't feel that way because we stand before God on the basis of another, right? Good works in the Christian life have nothing, nothing to do with our standing before God whatsoever. Zero. Uh, Martin Luther, Luther eloquently put it. I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember how he said it. uh, But what what are your filthy works (laughs) compared to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you actually expect, he was talking to believers, that the good works you do as a believer square with the heavyweight satisfaction of the Lord Jesus Christ before the Father? And so we don't approach God on the basis of our works. However, works flow out of it, right? So when we hear a text like this, rich in good works, we have to understand this is the outflow of the riches that God has given us in Christ. In other words, if you are a Christian, you have spiritual life, you've been regenerated, you have the capacity for richness in good works as an outflow. And, you know, if you want to take the red pill, the real secret is you will never do good works Until you give up your good works, ever. Until you rest finally and fully and only on the Lord Jesus Christ for your standing before God right now. We as believers struggle with that, right? So when Paul says good works... He's saying, yo, this is Christ in us. This is the work of God in us as an outflow and is available to all believers. And if we believers in the West are the rich of the world, then we must also be rich in good works. Generous and ready to share is what we must be. Okay. So that's the first thing we'll say about this wealth of another sort, that it's spiritual. Uh, But secondly, on a related note, because it is spiritual, it is also eternal. Okay? So Paul doesn't just have in view a richness in good works where we, let's say we spiritualize that, but it's like we're not really actually rich. No, he's actually talking about wealth to come. Because he says, doing good, rich in good works, generous, ready to share, does what? Verse 19, stores up treasure uh, for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So he's talking about the age to come. Uh, this is another thing that I don't think we quite understand, but there it is, facing us right in the text, that there are treasures in heaven. Didn't Jesus say, "Store up treasures in heaven"? You know, it's what old Ravenhill said about John Wesley. You know, he could have been as rich as your famous uh, TV preacher Billy Sunday or whatever, and but what did he do? He 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 gave money. He founded orphanages. Uh, he uh, he wrote hymn books. He preached across the country. He sent missionaries all over the world. And, you know, he died with six silver spoons and six pieces of silver to give to the six poor men that carry me to my grave. And, and an old Geneva gown that he had preached all over England and, and what else did he leave? Oh, yeah, the Methodist church. <laughs> because he believed that there was treasure in heaven. Okay? Now, this is exactly what Paul's talking about now. And this is why I say that it's money that buys wealth. That we can have treasure everlasting, which he calls that which is truly life. Here's the thing about stuff. You're tempted to think that the things you have give you life. Now, you wouldn't put it like that, and you wouldn't agree with that, but that's how it actually works out in your thinking and feeling, that the stuff I get, that's going to give me life. And this is exactly why the Lord Jesus Christ said, a man's life does not consist in what? The number of his possessions because we are ever tempted to believe that somehow we are getting life out of the stuff we have and the things that we enjoy, which is not true. And this is what he calls this, this treasure to come does do that, however. That we may what? Take hold of that which is truly life. Now this is quite an amazing thing. I think I'll get into it later. But let's just lay that foundation that... We're talking about money, earthly money, that buys wealth of an otherworldly kind. Okay? Wealth now, spiritually, and riches in an age to come, beyond imagination, where the things will give us life. Because every molecule in that new creation will be pulsating with eternal life and joy in Christ. That's going to be quite a different matter. You know? Things here are weights, but everything there will be a wing to usher us before God and worship Him in truth. Right? And so this means if you're a believer, you know, you've know you heard of the 1%, well, you're the sun percent, all right? because we stand to inherit. We'll get into this later. We'll, we'll maybe not speculate, but we'll just meditate on the things that are coming our way in Christ. Okay. But we got different wealth here. Okay. Secondly, though, wealth for others. The wealth that Paul has in view here, and as we take from other scriptures, is a wealth for others. That the spiritual, eternal wealth of being rich in God, in Christ, heirs of God, co heirs with Christ, all things are yours, sitting upon thrones of the universe. All that stuff is meant for others and that's why we have the things we have that we might serve those who do not yet have that which is truly life okay and so that's why this text has everything to do with missions because he's talking about making others rich did not paul say we are considered as poor yet making many rich that paul saw himself in that ancient world, going about, working hard with his hands, making tents. I mean, Paul was busted. There's nothing about Paul that said cleric. You know, they thought he was an the Egyptian revolutionary when they arrested him in Jerusalem. He was busted. You know, he gives his uh, resume of, of, of all that he had suffered, you know. And, and it's like, yo, you don't enter a beauty contest if you're the Apostle Paul. His face was messed up. Okay? They said he was a midget. He was the uh, most ferocious midget of all time. So, uh, in any case... Paul, think about him going through the ancient world, sacrificing his life, pouring out his life as a drink offering. And what does he think he's doing? I'm making people rich. That's what the Apostle Paul thinks. And so we have to to screw that into our thinking, don't we? That what we're doing in missions, yo, we are making people rich, eternally rich in Christ. Now, this gets into something that really, really ruffles my scruffles, okay? Um, You know how people say about short-term missions. They say, don't throw money. Go yourself, right? Go build the orphanage and go paint it. It's been painted every year by five missions groups that come. But God needs you, and those people need you to go repaint that orphanage because you need to go on short-term missions. So they don't need your money. They need you. Have you heard that? That's actually not true. If you're not called to missions, they don't need you. But there are people that are called that do need your money. And so it's one of the things that I hate when people say, don't just throw your money at missions. No, actually, yes, that's exactly what we need to do, is throw our money at missions. Okay, Because the position that God has put the Western church in requires that we who have do that very thing throw money at missions because money was made for missions money exists for missions money exists to serve the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world and there are people that are gifted with gifts you can't buy that are ready to go and all they need is money that's a spiritual thing and we don't give it to them now I'd like to show you this in the text Third uh, John, if you will, very quickly with me, right towards the back end here. Third John. This is a truly amazing statement. There's so many statements in Scripture that if you were to take them very seriously, it could transform your life. Now here's a statement in Third John. Uh, we'll read from verse five here. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So, so far we're thinking, okay, these are just some dudes who are traveling. Big deal. Uh, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. These are missionaries that went out for the sake of the name of Christ to make him known. All right? All right? accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. Now, let's stop there. This gives a big grounds for missions. These folks who went out for the sake of the name did not accept a penny from those they were ministering to, right? And so, John says, we ought to support men like these, because of that work, so that they can work freely and without hindrance among the people that they are sent to minister to, right? So right here you have a very clear text that says God's people. I mean, there it is, right? But here's the part that maybe we miss. That we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, this is one we don't actually take seriously. That when we support missionaries with money, that we are fellow workers together with those that we support. Do you believe that? I mean, that's what it says. That we share in the fruit of that ministry when we have the things God has given us and that we share, we support, so that those who are called and are armed to the tooth by God with spiritual weapons and gifts, but all they need is the support, when we do that, we come alongside them as yoke fellows and it's our ministry too. Did you know that? That we become fellow workers in the truth with them. So money... Really allows you to, do, you're doing, a, you could do a lot of ministry with money, buddy. I mean, if you, you can diversify your ministries. You can minister around the world with money, with your dollars. That is so real. And that is something that we have missed. And something that we will give an answer for. Before God. Right? So again, we say, well, I'm not rich. Well, okay, it depends how you slice it. Because globally, the West is rich. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think that the American church gives somewhere around 2% of their income in offerings and and giving. That's abysmal. Uh, You say, well, you know, the New Testament doesn't require us to give 10%. Well, you're exactly right, and I preached a sermon on this. You know, my elders made me. I never wanted to do this, and so I named it the Tithing Sermon because I hope I never have to do it again. And so this year, before we made our move, it was like, you've got to preach on, okay, I'll do it. And what I found was the most amazing thing. Sure, it doesn't say in the New Testament give 10%. But when Paul's done with you, you will be begging to keep 90% of your money. I can tell you that. All right? So I preached the whole sermon, and by the end said, well, if you, you, know, you can hardly go wrong with 10%. <laughs> because Paul's going to have his way with you, and you will be begging for mercy in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. All right? And Paul says many fabulous things in there. Puritans wrote books on this, and you know the prosperity preachers have taken this from us. They have, because Paul says there, if sow your seed, God will increase your seed for sowing. He's talking about money. He is talking about money. And Puritans wrote entire books on this, titled, The Surest Way of Thriving in This World is to Be Generous. And they lived it. That the surest way of thriving financially in this world is to be a generous person. Right? It doesn't guarantee that you'll get it. It doesn't mean tithe to a fake ministry so you can claim some financial miracle. No, that means be faithful with the things God has given you. And probably in the general way of things, he may give you more. Right? And so, in any case, <clears throat> this was my conclusion. If the American church stood up and gave anything approaching a tithe, world missions would be funded in full. I believe that. Local churches would be funded in full. If the American church stood up and simply Threw the money at it. World missions could be fully funded. I don't have the math on that. It's more of a theory, but we could at least put a really big dent in it if God's people stood up and gave. Now, I'm sure you guys are all faithful givers, and that is none of my business. However, when we speak about world missions, this is something that's something of a hole in the vessel that will sink it if we're not able to float those that God has called to go. So, this wealth is for others. Investing in those who go to the nations and the unreached to preach the gospel, it is sowing into the eternal and spiritual wealth of those human beings, just like you and me, that stand under the wrath of God, that are perishing by the millions Those that are sunken into an eternity of God's judgment because they don't know the name of Christ. That's real. What better thing could you give your money towards than saving souls? Because you can do that based on these texts. So that's astounding. And thirdly, okay, wealth for self, and we'll be through. Uh, Paul, it just, isn't this refreshing? This is so good. What does Paul say here to the rich? Does he say, uh, sell your possessions and give to the poor? Does Paul say, sell all your possessions and give to the poor? He doesn't say anything like that here. This is amazing. He says, you know, put your trust in God and not wealth, but what God is it? The God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy and the God who gives us eternal wealth that we store up through our good works in Christ. The God who gives us all things to enjoy. Now, this is quite an amazing thing. This means that those of us who have, have things to enjoy. This is not ascetic. This is really, really balanced, okay? So I went to Kenya last year in December for 15 days, and my children grew up when I was gone, and uh, all type of stuff happened, right? Uh, while I was there, it was an inevitable culture shock in some ways. You knew it would be. Uh, there was massive, massive slums in Nairobi where I was, millions and millions of people that live in slums. And uh, so it was quite shocking when I went there, you know? It's generally a nation of haves and have-nots, Okay. Uh, when I came back to the states, I was—I just realized, yo, know, this place is absolutely rich. Everything about America is rich, but it didn't make me feel bad for the things I have. Okay, this is what it did to me. It made me want to use the things I have better, not just by giving more, because I realized that a little of what I have here goes a long way there. really does. So that's one thing. You have a tremendous exchange rate, if you will. But the other thing was this. All of a sudden, all the benefits that I have, like things like, I don't know, air conditioning. You know, I sweated for 15... I've been sweating down here for three days. I probably lost five pounds. I dropped like 15 pounds over there, man. I was a new man. (laughs) And when I got back... I realized all this stuff that God's given me, he didn't give me these things to make me feel guilty. He gave me these things that they might encourage me to work that much harder. I didn't feel called to sell my home and move to Kenya. I felt called to work harder as a pastor where I am and use the things, to enjoy the things that they might help me serve God where I am. And I think that's exactly what it means here. God who gives us all things to enjoy. Okay? This gets back to the, the Reformation and the recovery of the doctrine of the, the dignity of vocation. That the things God has given you, he's given you those things. You work hard for those things. And you enjoy the mess out of those things to God's glory. God wants you to do that. And he also wants you to be generous in good works. Right, um, But if you're a believer, you are, of course, wealthy beyond imagination. Okay? There is wealth for yourself that is to come. Um, I um, spent some time preaching in, in Ephesians chapter 1 the last few weeks. And we were floored, man, with the inheritance to come. Because first Paul says, okay, we're adopted. And that's God's purpose in time and space. We're right at the center of the thing to adopt us as his children. Great. And then we saw that uh, God's going to summarize all things in Christ, that the new universe is will be a Christ-centered universe where all things are summed up in harmony under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as we said, every molecule will sing for joy in Christ, and the whole thing will be filled with righteousness and eternal life, where everything will be a wing and a servant. Right? I quoted a, an old dispensational who uh, I don't agree with on the time scale, but I agree with the principle where he said, uh, Picture me in Jerusalem chilling with Jesus in the 31st century. Which I disagree with. But then he said, Angels giving me piggyback rides. Who needs a Bentley? And so he talked about the angelic life that we're united with, that there's an angelic host of creatures that now we are friends with and family with, and in all eternity we will be rolling with the angels. I mean, you ever thought about that? It's amazing. And all things are united in Christ. But then we saw that it's not just we get to be part of that, we inherit the whole thing. That we will judge angels, that we will judge the world, that we will be seated with Christ on thrones and rule that universe. That we will inherit all things. And that the things that you've tasted in this life are all fallen. You don't know what it will be like then. You've only seen fallen colors. You've only tasted fallen food. Yeah, even Nick's food. It's just fallen. It's all good. I mean, (laughs) there it will be unfallen glories that you own. So you're loaded in Christ. We're talking about real wealth that we have in him. And Jesus won this for you with his perfect life and with his agonizing, terrorizing death under the wrath of God. He earned this for you. And so when you get that and you understand that right around the corner, because some of you might expire soon, Lord Jesus Christ may return. Right around the corner, there's this world of eternal wealth when you inherit all things as God's children. I should change your mindset on how you use your money here, right? Because you want other people to be there and you want to serve that purpose and you want to store up treasure there, even through what you've done. So, you know what they say? Uh, you have to invest in yourself. You heard that? You've got to invest in yourself. Well, This is precisely the way that you do that. You invest in your future. And that's what Paul's talking about. Store up against the future. That you yourself, where you are with the things God's given you globally, you're doing pretty well. And did you know that you can invest in your future by investing in the kingdom of God of missions globally and reap eternal rewards and dividends on what you use your money for. It's the most amazing thing. I think if God was to awaken the American believers into this, man, it would be something. It would really, really be something. Well, we'll end by saying this. Oh, world missions will be funded because the Lord Jesus Christ is loaded. You know, he does. <laughs> your DISP, again, your Disby friend, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but once you get to that thousand and first hill, we don't know whose it is, but, you know, just a thousand hills. Okay. The day of the Lord's a thousand years, but that's still, like, it's been, like, a few days in creation. He's got to, like, days can be long, so it's kind of tough. The Lord Jesus Christ is loaded. You know, he's the heir of all things, and missions will be funded. And it's a matter, it's really an Esther thing. Do you want to get down on this? Do you want to be a part of this? Because the provisions will arise from where he wants them to but we are given that opportunity to partake. And this happens through local church giving, right? This is the primary way that it happens. Local churches that are well-supported through giving are able to support those missionaries, and that's the way it should go, okay? You shouldn't skirt your giving to your local church to go support missionaries out there. This is a primary thing. Sure, you're free to do whatever you wish beyond that, okay? But if local churches stood up and did that, we'd be in quite a different place. But... Jesus will fund world missions. Now, you see the Kennicott's got all the, you know, little Nicholas took us to the Wild West, man. We're going to reach the Wild West, okay? I didn't wear, you know, my whatever. I'm not a a cultural appropriator, so, you know. I just wore a regular jacket for y'all. Why? Because, again, missions is not just global. Missions is here. And maybe somebody in this room does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody in this room is under the wrath of God for eternity. Maybe it is the fact that some of our children are not yet converted, beloved, and that we dare not lose sight of those missions, and that I dare not end this sermon without saying, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you will be saved And you will be enriched, and you will be God's children forever, and you will inherit all things. And you can also sow into this amazing ministry of world missions. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do what you will with your word. And I pray that you would encourage all of us as those who, generally speaking, globally, have to push ourselves and to see it as not a slight thing, but in a big thing. And that you might work in your church to be more generous towards reaching the lost for Christ. I pray that you would bless every heart here with encouragement in Christ to serve him. We pray in his name. Amen.